Hello, it's Adrian here from Arcade Attack, and today I'm joined with Alex Trowers, the true Bullfrog legend. So sit back and enjoy some great stories about the good old days of gaming. Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Right, so welcome back, listeners. We're here for the latest Arcade Attack podcast. I've got another really big treat. We've had Sean Cooper, we've had Mark Webley. I've got, well, Alex Trowers here, another Bullfrog legend. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, thanks for the invite. <laughs> well, a pleasure to all ours, trust me. Um, before we get into your sort of career at Bullfrog, Alex, I'd love to know how your sort of fondest memories of gaming and what, why you're growing up and how you got into, you know, what are your earliest and fondest memories, basically? Well, so... Um, I've always been like a bit of a gamer um, like, and obviously that means growing up before computers uh, it was just any sort of gaming, card games, board games what have you um, myself, my dad and my brother, we used to play an awful lot of games and we were living in a very very small space so what we used to do was just make up our own mm. games our own little board games, we'd kind of take it in turns to do that and then like D&D was a was a very big part of our life growing up um, and all sorts. And then obviously when computers came out, it was a it was a sort of natural progression to that. Yeah, really. So, yeah, always been gaming and all, specifically always been making games as well. Yeah. Do you remember the first game you ever made then? Was it I, I take you made it before Bullfrog? Is that right? Oh, yeah. Like um, the 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 first games we ever made, but like, like I said, were just these these board games. And I think one of our are most enjoyable i mean we came up with our own set of rules for sort of miniatures battles um but then probably our most successful was we did this really cool sort of wacky races game where there was like a racing circuit and you'd be tearing around in your little car and uh, spilling oil for people to skid on and stuff like that we probably played that one the most uh, of all the games that we made um all of my computer stuff like when i got into i you know I, I never really got beyond basic but then i started learning a bit of a bit of uh c and um i used to write <laughs> i used to write lunar lander clones i really like lunar lander for some reason nice. yeah, yeah and i can remember at this this place i was working at um they were doing like uh, air quotes proper software for these little epson handheld machines and they were like uh, uh tiny little handheld computers with a touchscreen an lcd touchscreen um but they were they were making kind of stock checking uh software so like whenever you went if you went on a flight yeah. uh, and you tried to order something they would use these these uh, devices to check to see if they had it in stock and so on and so forth and because they were portable because they were handheld and and the guys at the company were going to this show to to demonstrate this product and hopefully sell the the units and they wanted something else to just kind of use the device so mm. i made them this little lander game so that when our guy who was out there was just wandering around between meetings he could be playing this which in turn would also attract people over because they'd be wow. like oh, what's that you're doing and he'd be like oh, i'm just playing this little game on this oh but if you're interested here's what the here's what else the device can do so that was probably my first um 
anything to do with commercial, even though the game itself wasn't for sale or anything. That was probably the most commercial thing that I ever made pre-Bullfrog. Wow. So it was never published then. It was. It was. Only... Oh no, no, it was never. No, it was never intended to be published. If, more than anything, it was a, an exercise in teaching me how to program. So, mm. oh, that's a brilliant little story. Thank you. Um, how did you get the chance to work for Bullfrog then? Was that was that your first real proper way into the gaming industry? I know you've done a bit before, but what, what, how did that arrive? No, so Bullfrog was absolutely my first yep. uh, games industry gig, and um, Sean's told you his story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's basically the same. Well, yeah, almost. So I was at the same um, YTS scheme that Sean was at, but I was like a year behind him. Mm. Um, and it was it was a terrible course. It was absolutely <laughs> appalling. The one good thing that they did was this work placement stuff. So Sean got this one at, at, at Bullfrog, and I got this one. At, it was a company called Pipistrelle, and they were doing this handheld stuff, like I said. Um, but... I, me and Sean used to live over in, in, in Farnham and we'd both catch the same bus. So I got to knew, know Sean from there. I knew Glenn and Kevin from the local computer game shop in town. Um, there was this little store called Ultima, which again, uh, there are quite a few Bullfrog alumni who have, who can trace their links back to, to Ultima in Guildford. Wow. Um, and so I kind of knew I knew them. I knew of them. I used to bunk off school to play Populous oh, uh, yeah. with my best mate. He had an ST, and 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 I'd go around his his house when we should have been doing I don't know fifth <laughs> period, whatever. Um, so I knew of them. Uh, I really enjoyed Populous. Uh, I knew Sean from the bus, and and I was doing this programming, uh, this work placement at this other place. And then one day Sean said, "Why don't you?" why don't you uh, come into us? We're always looking for people. Um, and okay. So um, I arranged an interview. I went in, I met uh, Peter. Yeah. Um, we had a bit of an interview. Uh, it seemed to go really, really well. At the end of the interview, he said, well, that's all really good. When could you start? Wow. And I said, well, um, cause these other guys had been really good to me. Um, they were doing, they were doing a, I say they were doing a bang up job of teaching me the program. I don't know if you remember, but like way back when they were the, the, the sort of scholastic book company thing used to come around schools um, mm. and you'd order these books. And there was a series of books and it was like better basic or improve your basic or computer and video games, little books that would would have like listings of code in them listings of games and and show you how to program them and those little pictures of robots doing their thing and that's how i learned basic do you remember those at all i I don't yeah it does ring a bell definitely yeah and it turns out that the company i was working for the guy the the director of the company was the guy who wrote those books so literally he had taught me to program from the very start so i didn't want to mess these guys around um and i said well you know give me give me um two weeks to kind of square it with them and and i don't want to leave them in the lurch kind of thing and, I, and he was like oh yeah okay that sounds cool so i went back to those guys and said hey look this thing's come up listen I've have, i'm having a great time here but this is games this is bullfrog this is something i'd really like to do and they were like you know whatever they're offering will match it and i was like ah, but this is this is games and, and I'd, I'd really like to give this a crack and they were like okay well sorry to see you go but okay then and then a couple of weeks later i turned up at the office uh, on a Monday morning, uh, Monday the 20th of September 1990 to be precise, <laughs> um, and I, I go in and when Peter gets in, he just goes, "What the are you doing here? I never offered you the job." 
What? And, really? Well, he didn't. He, he honestly, he never offered me the job. If you think about it, what he actually said was that was cool. But he just has this. He has a way of of speaking to people that makes them believe that he's agreeing with everything that they say and kind of empowering them. And you'll see that in all of his, all of his interviews he ever does with all the journalists, Mm. they all come out of it. If you speak to any of them, they all come out of it thinking that it's so positive. It's always positive. There's never a negative spin on any of his interviews. And so I just left there just assuming that I had the job and I didn't. So I ended up on the dole for like six months um wow. funnily enough the guy who had the job that i was going for was a guy who was also at my school a, a classmate of mine um and then eventually what happened was uh uh he left he left to go to the states and kind of dropped them in it um and sort of six months later peter gave me a call and said well he used to call up every so often every couple of weekends or so and say listen we've got people coming in mm. uh journalists coming in could you come in and be playing the games make the place look busy i was like yeah no problem so i used to pop in every now and again like i said i knew the other guys anyway yeah. um, but when when andy left to go to the states peter called me up and said you were really enthusiastic do you still want the job and i said yeah wow so that was it that's amazing were you not a bit angry disappointed or was it Um, kind of made yourself yeah so just around the corner from the office was this little board game shop called alien encounters and uh it had only relatively recently opened but i'd been going in there since literally since they opened the door the first time and i was mates with them and when pete dropped that bombshell i kind of just walked around the corner walked in there and just said listen i think i've just made an absolutely terrible mistake um and they were brilliant. They hit the, the guy they did went, right, okay, just went up to the shelf, grabbed a copy of Talisman, started setting it up and goes, Come on then, let's play this. And that's what we did all day. We just we just played board games all day. Um he was just pulling them off the shelf saying, Let's try this one, let's try this one. So like my dad was really, really upset. He was like, Well, you've got to go back to that other place. You've got yeah. to you've got to beg for your job back. And I, I was I was too proud. I was like, No, 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 no. They're gonna think I'm an absolute idiot. And, you know, because I was an absolute idiot. So uh, so I said no. And, and he said, well, you've got to sign on then. So I signed on. And he was always pressuring me. You've got to go out and find another job. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This I've tasted that now. I, I that, That's the thing I want. So I kind of just oh. stuck it out. And eventually it all worked out. I mean, I often get asked, especially like when we're talking to like students and so on, like how do you get in the industry? And I'm like, I can't tell you because you should not do what I did. Don't don't do it that way. Whatever yeah. you do. Well, that's a really unusual. I mean, Alex, did you ever think to yourself where your life could be right now if you didn't, if you did beg your old job back or went in a different direction? I mean, have you ever thought about that at all? Or? Yeah, um, I, I always assumed I was going to end up as a cartoonist or yeah. or like a serious programmer or something like that. But then the games thing happened. So I guess you know something like that. But for all we know, I could have just ended up working on a building site because I've got no. I've got no qualifications or anything like that. And I, I did terribly at school. Um, so who knows? Who knows? Well, I'm just, and I, I, but I, I fully acknowledge just how, how fortunate I was. And of all the places to end up, to end up at Bullfrog and, and at the, at the point where they were just the absolute bee's knees. So, I mean, I agree. Bullfrog um, was exceptional and it just went from strength to strength didn't it, during the mm. early nineties. Um, I've got to ask about this infamous hi-fi shop. I've heard a little bit from Sean and, and Mark yeah. about this place. What what exactly was it? Can you explain it? And what was the atmosphere and culture there's, like in this crazy hi-fi shop that you worked in? So there's there's not much to explain. The hi-fi shop is still there. It's called PJ Hi-Fi. It's on Bridge Street. 
um, which is right in the middle of Guildford, right in the sort of the one-way system in Guildford, and it's been there for <laughs> 30 odd years or or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it, we had the top. I think it was three floors. Oh, sorry, we had off, an office on the very top floor, which is where the development was. We had an office on the floor beneath that which is where we put one of the artists because peter didn't like working with him um <laughs> we had the off and an office one floor below that which is where les was where you did all of the business stuff yeah um so at the point where i joined there were eight of us uh and six of us were all in that top office um and the top office was not not very big at all basically the the, the backs of your chairs would bash against whoever was sitting behind you um my first desk was a fish tank um <laughs> it it was literally there was there was the fish with a bit of a board across the top of it and that's that that was my desk um and i backed directly onto peter um glenn used to back onto sean and I, seriously the pair of them used to come to blows they used to actually just turn around and hit each other whenever their chairs would bash well, um, sean and glenn uh... yeah yeah and they're they, working together now aren't they still <laughs> oh god yeah 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 yeah. Um, I, like glenn for example i like i've been doing this nearly 30 years now and i think for maybe 20 of them i've been in the same office as glenn in one company or another it's yeah. just whenever i end up changing a company or whenever he does we just end up in the same building um it's ridiculous he's probably the person i've worked with most over the the, the course of my career Really? But yeah, so uh, it was a very kind of tight knit group, apart from that one artist that Peter didn't like. Um, <laughs> I won't uh, ask the name. Don't worry. <laughs> and um, uh, the but the, yeah, the office was was tiny. They they the one concession they made to to I guess health and safety was that they would go to the I'll call it the hallway, uh, but literally it was the top of the stairs to smoke. And it was normally my my job as the as the, the the junior unqualified tester guy to empty the cigarettes out and 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 I I would I would go around the corner to the um, to the supermarket to pick up supplies and 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 all sorts of stuff and then and test the games. Oh, that's pretty good. I mean, was it your job also to feed the fish? I need to ask Alex. <laughs> right. Okay. So there were two fish tanks. Right. <laughs> um, one of them was just our generic tropical fish and one of them was piranhas. And yes, it was normally my job to feed the fish, especially when journalists would come round when I would get dispatched to the local fish shop to buy some random goldfish to put in the piranha tank for them. Wow. Serious. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that, that wouldn't be allowed today, obviously, but that, no. that does. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not in 100% sure it was allowed back then, but you've got to feed piranhas something. That's... So we would feed them goldfish that's incredible wow thank you for sharing that story <laughs> um i mean it, bullfrog was incredible i mean what was it how could you would you describe the atmosphere was was it uh, unbelievable was it kind of rock and roll because uh, hell no. No, no 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 we were the bitmap brothers they were rock and roll yeah um they were always way cooler than us you know you look at any of the photos back then um we're the we're the geeky ones standing around and with silly grins on they're the they're, they were the rock stars um i think our games were better but they uh but that's it i absolutely love theirs as well yeah. but no they were the they were the rock stars we were just the feeling was we were just a bunch of guys who just wanted to make 
these games and we wanted to do interesting things with them. We didn't want to make the games that other people were making because other people were making them and nobody was really doing the stuff that, that, that we were doing or certainly not doing it the way we were doing it. Um, so I, there was a there was an awful lot of we were just making this up as we went along um, and partly through the quality of the people that we had because the 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 the, the the bar was really, really high. Like, like we had just some of the best, best people in the industry. Um, and it meant we were able to pull it off, even though, <laughs> even though, you know, when we got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you start needing things like producers, they would have an absolute nightmare because we were just incredibly creative and incredibly hard to pin down or, or get to commit to any one particular thing. Or, you know, if, if you wanted us to make a really cool game, we could do that. If you wanted us to release a really cool game within a certain time frame or for a particular deadline um, and have it finished by then, no, we were absolutely yep. terrible at that. All, <laughs> of the, all of the project planning, all of the running of a business, all of that stuff, God, we sucked at that. But the, the actual, hey, look, can we make this thing interesting? Can we make it fun? Yes. So, yeah. Good on you. Good on you. Um, what was the first game you worked on then at Bullfrog? Uh, you said you played Populous, but what was the first game you got your, your teeth into? So had I started when I thought I had the job, it would have been Flood. But uh, mm. uh, no, it was Powermonger. Mm. Powermonger was my first game. Classic. I mean, that's a great game, isn't it, to be fair? Um, well, again, you know, because I, I can remember sitting there and Peter's explaining to me what the game is. And I'm like, I have never heard of this before. I've never heard of anyone doing this before. And if you if you look back at it, it was probably the first RTS. Like, it had never really been done like that and and more than more than what the game actually was all peter was doing to me was explaining what the philosophy behind uh, how he makes games was and this was just the latest iteration of that so the idea was that he was just building a simulation he was building a world and you were a voyeur and you could poke the world every now and again and stuff would happen but if you didn't poke the world things would still happen the game doesn't stop because you stop playing uh it it carries on and i was kind of i was really really intrigued by that oh good stuff um do you reckon there's room actually for a new power monger title or even a populist game because uh they they be, yeah 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 of course uh, i mean like the power monger stuff has probably like the idea of like leading armies around and conquering a, a, a territory that's been done loads and loads and loads of times. Populous hasn't been done since. Well, okay. So like we had some very strong views about what kind of constitutes a populous game or what makes populous populous. Mm. And in my mind, none of those things have been done since uh, populous two. That was probably the last populist game for me. And even Populous 3 didn't feel like a populist game to me. I, it was very, very good, mm. um, but it was probably more RTS than it was a, a populist style game. Um, and, and yeah, that's never been done before. So, uh, Sorry, that's never been done since. Yeah, I since, yeah. So. Whether, whether, again, like it's, we're, we're constantly looking at these things through sort of the rose-tinted specks of nostalgia. Yeah. Whether that kind of gameplay um would would find a, a good home in today's modern market is 
very debatable. Um, it might just be that, yes, look, you know what? It's been long enough that nobody's really seen it. And so they're going to think this is an incredibly original thing um, and really, really embrace it. Or it might just be, I don't get it. How do I crouch? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it could go one of two ways. Right. Yeah, good. Um, how about Syndicate? Let's move to Syndicate now because we, we love Syndicate Arcade Attack. It's uh, I spoke to Sean a lot about it. He, he said it was a, a long old slog working on Syndicate. What, yeah. what was your exact role on that title and how do you kind of reflect back on it? So my role was uh, designer and by that it was actually right. So first of all, everyone at Bullfrog was a designer right everybody contributed to the game which is why like uh, always the, the the bullfrog credits the first thing would say designed by bullfrog there was no one person who had the the kind of design carte blanche right it was everybody yeah but my role was um i built the maps although glenn built a couple and and i built the missions although again glenn built a couple of those as well um and then the rest of the time was spent with sean refining the systems now he did all of the coding he did all of the the, the technical side of it um but what we used to do because syndicate was just basically the latest in a long line of bullfrog games that followed the the mechanics where we would build a multiplayer game um and then we would test it and play it multiplayer until we got it feeling right. And then we would somehow shoehorn a single player out of it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I see. Um, and so so most of the time we spent working on Syndicate was there was there was basically me and Sean and a couple of our mates who we would just bring in after work playing this game. Just 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 playing it constantly. And then somebody would say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if this? And Sean would go, right, OK, give us 15 minutes. Let me try writing that. And he would code up that and say, right, there's a new version. Everybody, let's do that again. And we would just keep repeating that cycle um, to the extent where. So like we'd go to the pub on a Friday night. Um, we'd come back from the pub, go to the office with a couple of our mates, start playing. And then we wouldn't leave until Sunday morning. Wow. Um, but because we were just having so much fun, more often than not, we wouldn't realize that the sun had just come up. Um so yeah and that's why i think out of all of the games we did that was probably the one that felt most most polished most refined um because it it probably had the most play and the most like seriously enjoyable play every every uh lunchtime the office would basically down tools and start up games of syndicate it's the only game that i've ever worked on i think um well if you speak to any developer when they finish their game if, if you went to them and said do you want to have a go, go of it they would say no i'm if i ever see that game again i'm going to lose my mind mm. syndicate was the exception we played it after we launched it we would still play the game there was um <laughs> there was a journalist called uh, uh richard longhurst and he always used to time his trips to the office he would, he would come up with some pretense that he needed to speak to peter about he would turn up to the office at exactly lunchtime um and and it would be i need to speak to peter well look we're about to do this oh you're about to play do you mind if i sit down and and that's it <laughs> pretty, pretty much every couple of weeks he would turn up at lunchtime because he knew we'd be playing syndicate and he would like grab a computer and start playing um so yeah yeah we used to play that to death even after we released it in fact the only thing that stopped us playing it was doom came out that year um yeah that was that was the game that that stopped us playing syndicate we all moved to that and you know what i'll take that that's i'm, I'm happy with that 
I mean, yeah, we could talk about Doom all day, couldn't we? How good yeah. that was. Um, why, why do you think Syndicate was so good? I mean, I'm, I, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. But what do you think the magic ingredients were to make it stand out? <clears throat> well, for one thing, again, it was really, really refined. Um, by that, I mean the interface for the time. I mean, it's a hella clunky now. But uh, for the time, it was incredibly uh, well refined. The level of freedom and, again, the feeling that, you were part of something bigger that the, the city was alive it, it it you know people were doing their thing it's all smoke and mirrors right it's mm. absolutely all smoke and mirrors but the impression that the player gets the feeling that they have um is one of being part of this city that is going on without them and being able to poke it in very interesting ways nominally blowing shit up but you know <laughs> that, that kind of thing so i think that that was it and um you know Paul, the 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 lead artist, was basically using it to live out his Blade Runner fantasies, um, and then everyone else uh, was just—I don't know—it just—it really, really clicked. Uh, but you could—it's probably the the one that had the most love in it, a universal love from all of the people in in the company at the time. Oh, brilliant! Um, I asked Sean this, and I think he he spoke about the Gauss gun. But was there any sort of game mechanics or ideas that you came up with, or that we even discussed that never quite made it into the game? Uh, any ideas that never quite got into the final version? He would say that. That's what I was going to go with when I saw your <laughs> questions. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so the only other stuff was things like like for in, uh, initially it was eight uh, agents in a team. Yeah. Um, so it was a much bigger team, but literally the only people who could actually play that were me and Sean. Um, and, you know, so that kind of got refined out, refined out for, I was very upset at the day when Sean said, Oh, I guess we've got to move it to four then. And I'm like, no, oh, it's going to ruin the whole game. And, um, and I, cause I think one of the issues was like, like people would then, when we put the group button in to make the kind of concession that people were having difficulty moving four agents around at once, then, then yeah, that suddenly became the way you, yeah. had to play it um whereas before me and sean were were moving around these squads of eight men and hiding them in places and and having different fire teams and all sorts but it was quite uh we hadn't refined the interface quite so well then and again yeah we were the only ones who could actually do it and it's because we'd been doing it for the longest doing it more than anyone else there so nice. um but other than that yeah no the gauss gun the idea that we were going to have uh, there was a, a distinction between kind of cybernetic people and and regular humans, and the Gauss gun was going to be incredibly powerful against robots and machinery, and not powerful at all against humans. Um, but that because <laughs> the so like it was just one night, and it was absolutely the best night where Sean said I'm going to put a rocket launcher in, and he made this rocket launcher, and we just ended up using the Gauss gun slot because we hadn't made the Gauss gun yet. Right. And so but we didn't tell anyone. And so the next day when we get to the lunchtime and we're going to have the game, the only people who knew about this incredibly powerful rocket launcher were me and Sean. And we were buying the Gauss gun up when you do your kitting out your agents at the start of the game. And no one else is buying it because it doesn't. Yeah. Pay. Everyone knows that icon doesn't do anything. And then the screams from the other side of the <laughs> office when we just started firing this thing at people. What the? is that <laughs> how do you that's it uh, and the whole office was just they were just in love with it from that point yeah. on just like that's incredible that's the best thing ever so yeah I, that was a lot of fun that day oh that's a great story how, how about syndicate wars were you involved in that at all no no um so by the time syndicate wars came around we were probably a uh, hundred and 140 odd people i think um and we had maybe 
uh, including all the various different conversions, maybe about six projects on the go at once. So at about the time Syndicate Wars was being worked on, I was working on Gene Wars. Um, so i didn't yeah. have i didn't have anything to do with syndicate wars um i i quite like syndicate wars i thought it was a good game but i don't think it was quite i don't know it didn't quite have the same sort of feeling do you, what, what are your views about that game in particular if you don't want to ask him yeah so um uh so my my uh the 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 guy who was the uh, lead artist on that is is uh, probably the my, my best mate at Bullfrog, who I still talk to on a daily basis. We still game regularly. Um, so uh, he probably doesn't like the fact that I don't like Syndicate Wars. Oh, no. And, and it's not that, no, it's not that I don't like it. Um, for me, I think it suffers from a couple of issues. One, it probably moved too arcadey for me. But the reason for that was because you needed to be able to play it on a gamepad because it was going to be a playstation uh title so concessions had to be made for that to the art because we moved to 3d whereas um the original syndicate was this incredibly crisp and for the time high res you know 640 by Mm. 400 um it looked really really crisp and clean and then suddenly to make it everything work with 3d and polygons and everything it had to be this 320 by 200 thing so it just looked a bit blocky to me yep. so i didn't particularly like that and the, the 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 writing for the missions i just didn't get on with that at all there was there was far too much waffle there for for, for what you were doing but um, it was definitely it was definitely a uh, a, a worthy sequel. That lots of people still absolutely love it. It just wasn't. I I I don't think it hit the same notes that the original did. No, fair and, enough. And I notice, you know, we're obviously not going to talk about the next Syndicate game, which isn't even remotely Syndicate. We we can talk about it. No, but let's I... not. Let's not. <laughs> no, I've heard, I haven't played it myself. But it had quite bad reviews, didn't it? I think. Yeah. PS2 um, After Syndicate, did you move on to Magic Carpets, or is there any games before that? Uh, so uh, let me think. I'm trying to get the trying to get the timeline right. Yeah. So after Syndicate, it would have been Magic Carpet. Yes. Brilliant game. Um, um, yeah, and that I'm, was that was that was, that was a lot of fun as well. That was uh, again, it was one of those. The thing I always liked about about uh, us as a company at the time was. Like you could tell that other developers were always kind of wary of what we were doing, mm. right? Because we were off, we were doing our own thing, and everybody else who was doing their particular aspect, be it like they're they're making platform games or they're making flight sims or they're making whatever, um, they were always like, yeah, okay, but yeah, Bullfrog are fine, but we're kings of doing this thing. And so when it was suddenly announced that we were doing this thing that kind of looked like a flight sim, but like no flight sim you'd ever seen before, we started to get uh, contacted by these other developers who were a little worried Ah. you know the impression we got was like they were going hang on why is bullfrog muscling in on our turf can't they leave us alone aren't there enough other games for weird quirky games for them to be working on why have they got to start making a flight sim um i mean you know it ended up not being very simmy um but it still kind of ruffled a few feathers i think in the uk dev scene well in a way, that's, that's a good thing, isn't it? It keeps people on their toes a bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think we put the fear of God into some of them. Like, oh, hang on, they're going <laughs> to turn their head to this as well. No, leave us alone. Oh, I loved it. I still remember going to, I think, PC World. They had the VR sets out showing <laughs> Magic Carpet. That's an incredible, incredible game. Uh, I, I the, think it's the, a bit the of a... problem with the, the, the yeah. VR headsets, like that that first time around, because um, obviously these days they're, they're just brilliant, but, but 
the the problem we found was because obviously nobody knew really what they were doing or how to implement them so we just did a straightforward mouse replacement but the mm. problem with that was because so much of the game involved what we would call circle strafing around a particular target so you're always turning and you're always kind of moving sideways people would end up strangling themselves with the cord oh really <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah could you imagine here it, someone oh that'd be terrible wouldn't it someone's been killed because of your game yeah. oh wow I shouldn't shouldn't be laughing enjoying the show why not check out some other great retro gaming podcasts like retro asylum the retro hour rgds maximum power up arcade perfect and the 10 pence arcade I, I think this is a bit of a silly question, but there's rumours about it, so I'd like to just almost put a stop to it. Uh, Magic Carpet, was it ever originally in production for the Amiga? Is that a stupid question or what? There, <clears throat> there is no way the Amiga could have done it. Yeah. No. no. There was a... The, the genesis... I, I, can, I can probably tell you where these rumours have come from is because the project itself started off called Populous Village. So after... Ah. We were we were going to make another populacy thing, and um, Glenn worked on a, a different way of doing the tiles, and that started on the Amiga, but very rapidly moved to the the, the PC, mm. where it all suddenly became proper three. I say proper three D. He had this weird voxely thing going, if I remember rightly, and he was experimenting with all kinds of weird stuff, and that project morphed into what would become Magic Carpet. So that's the only possible link I can think of ah. to the amiga but no there's there's absolutely no way the the poor little amiga could have done anything like that i take it you're a fan of the amiga though is that fair alex or yeah i loved it i yeah. i really really enjoyed the amiga happy days um <clears throat> like i said i mean like i started off playing populous on the st around my mate's house um and then when i thought i'd be in with a sniff of this of the bullfrog gig i went and got an amiga nice upgraded from my spectrum which i also loved to this amiga and it was like oh, okay yeah um this thing's pretty cool um yeah oh, we're, we're massive fans we're massive and actually i i got the spectrum first in the amiga so we went on the same direction yeah around. um regarding gene wars i mean I, that was actually a, one of the first games i got for my pc and i i enjoyed it i thought it's a really ambitious title it's it, it tried different things but it didn't seem uh, correct me if i'm wrong but it didn't seem to really catch on quite like your sort of previous titles why, why would you what would you agree with that why do you reckon yeah, hundred percent. So um, I think there are several reasons for that. The 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 first reason is that it never got the buy-in um, within the studio. Yeah, it never had everybody in the studio going, "This we're going to make this game and it's really really cool." Um, part of that is because the studio was a lot bigger, but part of that is because the game was pretty weird. Um, it didn't actually start out as as gene wars even remotely or anything even remotely similar to that what it used to be um basically there was this there was a guy a really nice american guy called richard reed a very good friend of mine and he um he had this game called biosphere which he was touting around to a number of studios and they'd all said no including ea ea had said no to this all thing right. and a disc arrived at the bullfrog office one time and peter asked me to have a look at it and sort of review it and see what i thought and i loved it mm. and it was a game about you you controlled like a group of interplanetary specialists they were like geologists and botanists and and these these kind of weird disparate um 
characters and you would go to a space station where the the aliens in the space station would say we need a planet that does this it needs to be this hot it needs to have this much land it needs to have this much vegetation and uh, this much of an ecosystem these creatures must be on it and there can't be any of these things on it can you tailor a planet to our needs and you would go down to the planet and using these these characters you would change the planet in such a way that it you you fit the design brief and i loved it as an idea and i i said to peter look we should make this and he was like and, and it kind of went on and on for years and years and years and we started making it we got richard over we hired him full time to make it and i would be working with him um but the problem was that like i said that was a pretty weird thing and we never got the buy-in and we took too long we just took ages so eventually um sean was drafted onto the project um and the thing with sean was he at this point he was getting a reputation for being the closer if your project was going a bit wayward or we absolutely needed to get something done by a certain time sean was literally the only person who could do it peter couldn't do it glenn couldn't do it right it had to be sean sean is the one who would finish a game so he got put onto gene wars and after uh, only a couple of weeks, he was like, right, look, we need to make something different. We need to finish this game. It's gone on too long and we need to make something different. Um, Commander Conquer had just come out and there was a huge influence on on the company around then. Uh, yeah. So we, we basically pivoted to a, a, a simpler, if you can believe it, RTS. So, yeah, Gene Wars is actually the result of a massive simplification of what we were doing. But it also had to it had crazy tech in there for like how the creatures would be rendered, how how the creatures could mutate and all sorts of stuff like that, which was um, which was part of the reason why it was really, really hard to pigeonhole and part of the reason why it really struggled to get any kind of internal Mm. traction. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not massively or I wasn't massively. I definitely wasn't pleased with with uh, the way we pivoted, um, but I absolutely understand the justification for doing so. And I think in the broader context of the business, it was definitely the right thing to do because we had we really, really struggled to find our our sort of our proper direction and or making it easy to sell we couldn't sell what we were making um but the thing that we ended up making was a lot easier to sell it's like cnc but with animals that's it yeah right everyone gets that um yeah it's not quite the game you envisioned originally is that fair oh no absolutely not no not at all i mean commander conquer is not a bad thing to to sort of (laughs) exactly jump onto what a great game that is we wouldn't be the first people to do that so do you know what though? Gene Wars and, and the previous games and, and the future games, uh, that quirkiness, uh, even though it's it's a risk, I think that's what made like like you hinted earlier, Bullfrog stand up from the crowd a bit. Absolutely. Um, you know, what we, we made up for a, a, a lack of polish in some areas with just wackiness. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's why the Japanese loved us. Like we would always be getting the calls from like the Japanese magazine, and whenever they did articles on us, it would always be those wacky bullfroggers. It was always <laughs> wacky. The amount of times being called wacky. <laughs> yeah, lots. <laughs> um, oh man, I mean, actually, before we go on a little bit further, I'd love to ask you about like the uh, the the Amiga scene a bit before. Like you you mentioned Bitmap Brothers, who I, I loved as well, yeah. and Sensible Soccer. I, sorry, Sensible Software. I used to love as well. Uh, who who did you look up to the most back then, or who did you see as your big rivals? Well, it was definitely yeah, it was definitely it was definitely the Bitmaps. Uh, I don't know about rivals because again, <laughs> well, even to this day, right, the industry is a tiny place. Everybody knows everyone. Everybody has worked with 
everyone at some point um so like they used to come to our parties and 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 what have you like gary gary carr for instance who's now he's working with mark webley at yeah. two point but he was like an artist then he had previously worked with um like uh, a whole bunch of the bitmaps at, at, at palace and and he, i think he'd even done some work for bitmaps and ultimately when he left bullfrog he went to the bitmap brothers for a brief period as well so you know there was a, a whole lot of cross-pollination um they were the ones whose kind of reviews we would look out for not just because they made some amazing amiga games back then yeah. but also because they were kind of our friends but yeah they out of all of them they were the ones we probably had the most contact with and respect for yeah no i i have to agree some great guys and actually i'm sure you heard Alex. i think rebellion have bought the rights for their yeah. games how yeah, crazy yeah, is yeah. that i'm looking forward to a new speedball game like done properly like a oh, really yeah. good speedball game that'd do me 100 i mean would you would you like to i mean it's a bit of an, i definitely i'll put this in your question so apologies um but would you ever like to see that happen to bullfrog and get the classic titles back out there kind of rebellion style i know yeah yeah, yeah well, and not the classics because then it, we couldn't you couldn't just repackage the originals because yeah. they would not stand up to modern scrutiny the one exception i would say there is theme hospital um, yes which yes. if like if you play theme hospital today it feels as fresh as it did back then because it was probably the least um technologically reliant and the whole game was its humor and yep. the style of it and everything like that and you know the 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 proof is in the pudding because two point hospitals doing really really well and everybody loves it right yeah. and yeah so out, out of all of them that's the only one that you could just repackage um simply whereas all of the others would require a lot more that the, there would need to be a lot of updating and in some of those updates you might you might end up losing the the core of what made them or what we remember making them uh, unique and interesting back in the day no, brilliant. No, I agree. Right, I want to turn attention to Dungeon Keeper. Okay. Um, I love it. I love Dungeon Keeper. Uh, I love the, se- the sequel as well. Were you involved in the first game, or was it just uh, just the second one? Not the first one. Again, I was working on Gene Wars. Like I said, that project yep. took an awfully long time. Um, uh, but yeah, we were definitely around uh, at the, the inception of Dungeon Keeper was interesting, and it was another one of those, Peter going, I've got a great idea. Um, and I was going, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, actually, that does sound kind of interesting, but how, I don't know how you're going to spin that one sentence out into a whole game. Um, uh, the interesting thing with the first Dungeon Keeper is that uh, Peter kind of wasn't around because this is about the time when EA bought us. So he mm. was having more and more responsibilities not in the office, right? So he wasn't around for a lot of it, and he just planted this seed of you've got to be the bad guy, in a dungeon crawler right you've got to run the dungeon and the nasty heroes are going to come in and you're going to have all these creatures which are going to fight them and la 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 and he very much left it up to uh, predominantly the carter brothers so dean and simon carter um and they came up with this this uh, i guess you could call it it was pretty traditional it, it had a very sort of traditional fantasy role-playing game feel to it but flipped on its head and it yeah. was uh, it was incredibly detailed there was a lot of simulation there um and it was interesting but a bit kind of clunky maybe i guess you know we hadn't really sorted out the interface um but it was just um it had a i guess the closest thing you could look at it these days would be dwarf fortress yeah they, yeah. they basically wrote like an, an a goblin dwarf fortress 
I guess is the, the simple way of putting it. Um, uh, which was cool. And that, and, and they kind of were left to their own devices to do that f- for a, a couple of years. And then Peter kind of came back in one day and just went, this isn't working. Um, we're going back to square one. And they essentially reset the project and started again from scratch. Um, <clears throat> like a lot of the artwork carried over, but the, 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 uh, and and I think the engine did, but the 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 way it was presented and the interface, the then it became the tapping on blocks to mark them for mining and the hand and mm. all sorts of stuff like that, and was just um, excuse me incredibly incredibly streamlined and much more kind of focused from that point. Um, so it was a really good idea. But if anyone ever wonders why Dungeon Keeper took so long to make, it's because we made it twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Wow. I mean. But then it was worth the wait because it it, it was a great game. Were you a fan yeah. of it yourself, the finished pro- the product? I didn't have time to be a fan. I was too busy on the other project. <laughs> um, but no, no, I, I liked it. I loved the premise. Um, I loved the I loved the mechanics. I loved the simplicity of the manipulating the creatures. And again, for me, uh, a, a core tenant of those games and, and why I like those games is the voyeuristic aspect. I yeah. like. My, I was happiest when I had my dungeon and it was running and I could leave it. And I really, really hated the fact that these heroes would come in and just tunnel their way in and ruin my entire dungeon. That really used to wind me up. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I liked the game. I thought it was pretty cool. It's a clever game. How about Dungeon Keeper 2 then? You were involved, you were involved in that, is that right then? Yes, yeah, so I was, uh, I was one of the core design team on that. Um, there was basically there was there was uh myself sean my brother and uh, a guy called zai nicholson and we were the we were the, like the systems designers <clears throat> um and then there was a, there was a suite of people who would actually uh, level designers making the building the actual missions and stuff as well but we'd be coming up with all of the different systems at play and and how they all work together good stuff how, uh, how yes yeah, right no no that was it so i mean there and Dungeon Keeper 2 was it was basically just more more refined yeah. i guess you know it didn't it didn't innovate in the same way that Dungeon Keeper 1 did but again it doesn't have to but we we made we made it a lot more streamlined or or all of our innovations were kind of under the hood the the combat for example was incredibly detailed um there was a whole system of play for like how different creatures would react to different situations. There were sort of different classes of creature, how they'd behave in combat, whether they'd just rush straight in or try and get around the back or stay back and use ranged attacks or all sorts of stuff. Um, and it worked together really, really well. Um, so that, so again, at one point it's really, really fascinating to just watch these battles unfold. But then because everything in the sequel was kind of bigger and better and more. Um, and because we've done stuff like, right, well now you can pick up as many different, as many creatures as you want in your hand. Yeah. Um, you could, you could pick up all of your creatures and place them wherever you wanted, making all of that cool stuff we've done for the positioning and the location based combat pretty moot. Um, which was, which was, that was probably the most upsetting thing about it. We just like undid all of our work by, and especially when we introduced, because obviously people were going, well, it takes bloody ages to pick up all of your creatures. So we put in this button that said, pick up all of my creatures. Uh, that would just make it absolutely like refining out the cool stuff to do with the combat, the cool kind of, um, voyeuristic stuff, the, 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 the detail there, it all just got smoothed too much. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember that button actually. I use it quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about Dungeon Keeper Three? Was that in development at all? Were you involved in that at all? So or? Dungeon Keeper Two was my last 
project ah, for Bullfrog. Okay. I left just before it got released. <clears throat> now, um, but Dungeon Keeper 3 had been mooted before then. Oh, really? Hello? Yeah, it was... Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, and so there was a lot of concept art that existed. The, the the premise of, of hey, look, can we do it overground now? Will the engine be able to cope with us doing overland stuff? Um, that had all been mooted around the time I was leaving. So, so yeah, there was definitely some things going on. 100%. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. The intention was always to make a third. Yeah, well, we'll talk about the controversial third game in a second. Um, <laughs> Again, gave... like like the uh, like the 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 third syndicate before it, the third dungeon keeper is not. <laughs> it's it's just not. I well, can have... save you a lot of time by saying no. That's have you played wrong. it? I, I like to ask. No. Actually. Has Good. anybody played it? You don't <laughs> no. play it, do you? You 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 sit yeah. there and you click through things, you tap through it, things yeah. until yeah. No, that's that's. They got a lot. Uh, and I've I've spoken to I've spoken to a couple of um the execs uh since then and they all acknowledge that no that was a terrible misstep they know yeah. they 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 got it wrong they they kind of underestimated um uh the, the sort of backlash that it would receive and they they fully acknowledge that and realize that they made a terrible terrible mistake like dungeon keeper on mobile on a touchscreen device could be perfect yeah right it's a it's a it's a brilliant game for it it is t- you're tapping on the little guys you're tapping on the landscape you're dragging stuff around perfect interface for it just make that game again but that's not how mobile games work so no, no. good uh and I, I i agree completely it's uh it got ridiculed completely didn't it let's be honest yeah yeah, yeah. um let's talk about electronic arts briefly if that's all right because you mentioned earlier they came over they took over the company uh i've actually spoken to trip hawkins in the past and he oh yeah he saw he saw you guys bullfrog as a brilliant opportunity to expand into the uk and he obviously respected what you did but uh i asked sean the same question and he was not particularly he, he basically said the mood changed overnight almost now again i don't want to put words in your mouth alex i'd love to hear your sort of side of the story i agree with sean yeah um <laughs> but it, again it wasn't it wasn't the first time that that had happened there, there were a kind of a number of points in bullfrog's history where the culture changed um and i would say that ea's acquisition was probably the third one of those Mm. right um we went through a couple of rounds previously of hiring an awful lot of graduates going from like 50 people to 120 odd people within the space of a couple of months that was a huge it it fractured the culture there and the ea buyout uh, did pretty much the same thing um, not immediately because like immediately it was oh this is exciting and now we've got money and resources to do the kind of stuff that we want to do and oh look we get to play with shares and uh, all sorts of stuff and they would they would be throwing like cool freebies at us and we were all really excited about that kind of stuff but what it did was after a while it introduced this um this level of professionalism that we just weren't prepared for. <laughs> mm. You know, you were having to do things on spreadsheets. You were having to, to and, and there was an awful lot of it that was just kind of team buildy bollocks. Like, you know, if yeah. David Brent was to do a manual, it kind of felt like that. Um, yeah. And we were like, hang on, you're trying too hard to be cool. You're trying to be that, that kind of that, that, that cool uncle who's coming in and hey kids and you're just using the wrong words and you're making us feel uncomfortable um uh, i guess that the thing is that prior to the ea acquisition 
we never canned a game. There were some games that never really got finished, but yeah. we never explicitly stopped working on them. They was always like, we'll finish that someday. Whereas when EA came in and explicitly told us, right, stop working on this, start working on this other thing. And then would tell us later on, stop working on that other thing, start working on this next thing. Nice. Um, that was a real, that was a real blow for a lot of people. Um, at the point where everybody moved into the same office where, where the um, EA moved in to the, the Guildford office, we had loads of room. <laughs> it was, it was never a question of, of space, but suddenly again, that was a big cultural shift. Now, 100% the the EA staff the people who moved in they were lovely they were really good they were really talented we uh to our fault were incredibly elitist especially the old hands if you if you'd been at <laughs> and in fact to this day there is still sort of a continuing um debate over what constitutes true bullfrog or old bullfrog or and where you fit in that hierarchy yeah. there, there are definitely kind of um bands and, and schisms because of that and we just looked at the ea guys we and we honestly we looked down on them and we should oh, really we, we really shouldn't have because they were all brilliant it's just that they were working on games that maybe weren't quite so innovative they were working on games that that had numbers that increased at the end um and and we were like nah, a bit cynical about that kind of thing but they were all absolutely lovely and they were all absolutely super super talented but um yeah prior to prior to ea we could do what we want um including a whole bunch of stuff that we probably shouldn't have for example the piranha thing um the bb guns thing the (laughs) the what we would wear in the office what we would eat in the office where we would eat in the office um skateboarding unicycling all of this all of this stuff that we used to do because we were just a bunch of lads messing around who happened to make computer games uh, and then suddenly we became this. No, no, it is a very big, important international company that produces these things. You can't be doing that because that's not how companies work. And that's probably one of the contributing factors to why you guys never finish anything that you say you're going to finish. <laughs> so, uh, again, I 100 um, percent understand why EA played it the way they did. Um, I think they've learned a lot since then if you look at what happened to us if you look at what happened to westward um yeah where they they found these little these kind of rough diamonds i don't know what it was like to work at westward but i imagine it was pretty similar to what we had you can tell there was a lot of love there was a lot of passion there um and that doesn't get easily wrangled into this marketable thing or this this reliable thing um but now if you look subsequently what they've done to something like criterion where where they have essentially siloed Criterion within themselves and said, right, you're still Criterion. Don't let us make you not be Criterion. Yeah. Keep that Criterionness. Whereas with somebody like us or somebody like Westwood, it was, well, you're EA now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, I, I used to love Westwood Studios as well. And it's such a shame in a way <laughs> that, yeah. that, that he's too, or quite a few companies actually, you know, yeah. sort of are not here anymore. I mean, do you mind me asking why you end up leaving Bullfrog? Uh, and what, what was your next kind of thing after that? For exactly those reasons. Yeah. Um, I devoted the sort of formative years of my life to Bullfrog. I was there for eight years. Um, I started when I was 18. Um, I grew up there. Um, 
and it wasn't just a job it was a way of life like when i was saying like we used to go back after the pub we used to go there just on the weekends to just hang out in the office it was a good place to hang out because if you went there you knew there were other people there who wanted to play the games that you wanted to play you know the the office was a social hub it was everything like that um and then suddenly it was no no now it's an office now it's a place of work don't get me wrong it was a fun place of work there were still pinball machines and a pool table and all the sky sports channels you could want and free pizzas and la 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 all of the little perks that ea would throw in but it was just coming straight from what we had with the bullfrog it, it was different and it didn't feel as good subsequently i've been back to work at ea and let me tell you they are a fantastic employer yeah they, they are it's really really good and it's still this really kind of fun place to work with was some really energized staff the really talented people um but it's just and it's just it was more fun it was more yeah. fun when it was just us messing around maybe we weren't quite so productive um i think i think we were more innovative in ways um but we were definitely less less productive but it was a lot more fun so um, I wasn't any more. I wasn't any more getting the chance to kind of work on the stuff that I wanted to do. Like uh, actually, the Dungeon Keeper Two thing only kind of came about. Like initially, uh, Sean had said, "Hey, they want to. How do you feel about doing Syndicate 3? And I was, I was like, "Yeah, brilliant." So mm. it started off just me and Sean going, "Well, well what can we do with Syndicate 3? And I was really, really excited about this. This was going to be. This was the thing. Um, and then he said, "Why, well, actually, Dungeon Keeper 2 is running into a bit of trouble. They want to parachute Sean in to do his thing. And he said, can you come with me and we'll just do this and then we'll do Syndicate 3. And so uh, that's what that's kind of how I ended up on that. And then the Syndicate 3 thing didn't end up happening. And then that was it for me. I was like, OK, well, I'll, I'll, I think my time has come. I think I'm going to go do something else now. Right. Do you, do you remember any ideas for Syndicate Three? Any just even discussions? Or? It was yeah, it was it was very very embryonic, but it was going to yeah. be you know more of the same, bigger, bolder. Um, funnily enough, feed more of the um, like the CNC interface, or indeed at that point the Total Annihilation, which has the best oh. RTS interface of of of, of any game. Um, it, it would be more along those kind of lines. So that would enable us to manipulate more units, um, make yeah. more of a deal of how you get to and from the mission areas, that kind of stuff. But other than that, regular syndicate stuff, you know, there is an environment. It feels like it's alive. You go in there and you blow stuff up. Brilliant. Um, excellent. <laughs> still, oh, there's it? still plenty. There's a gap in the market. There, I think that, there is. That would absolutely fly today. I think, Alex, you want to get, get on it, man, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you left Bullfrog. You, did you work at Lost Toys, Kuju, yeah. and Blackrock? Is that right? Have I got that correct? Yep, yep. That's pretty much it. There's a couple more, and I've worked for many places. So I, um, just before I left, Glenn, Darren, uh, Darren Thomas, and Jeremy Longley had left for, I don't know, any number of reasons. Um, and they kind of they said we're going to do this thing now if you look at if you look at the guildford game scene around that time you've got lost toys you've got mucky foot um loads of these little and uh, you've got and and lionhead what would become lionhead oh, and yeah. every single one of them as a bullfrog offshoot was a collection of ex bullfroggers going how do we get back to what we used to do yeah how do we recapture those glory days so Every single one of those little companies was founded with that in mind. 
Uh, we don't like what Bullfrog has become. We don't. We, the, the, the EA machine isn't for us. How do we go back to being this small, agile, work on quirky, interesting titles thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I was obviously I was supremely interested in that idea. And so I just went along with Glenn one day to see what they were up to. Um, they were up to this this little title, um, which ultimately was called Moho. Um, it was a pretty simple game, but the idea being that, look, we do this game, we get it on the shelf, that gives us an income, then we can work on the next game, which will be bigger and better, and that will enable us to work on the next game. So there was a plan there, yeah. and it was like a, a, a gradual build-up. And I was interested, and I said, yeah, okay, that's that's all really, really cool. So I went back to went back to EA and handed my notice in, um, and then that weekend I get a call, a frantic call from Glenn saying, I heard you quit, where are you going? And I said, well... I'm coming to you, aren't I? <laughs> You've done so it again. So in a kind of exact reversal. No, 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 because they offered me the job oh, and I hadn't it. told them that I'd accepted it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> in an exact flip of what happened the first time. But yeah, so I, I, I went to Lost Toys. Uh, we made a couple of games there and we were working on a third, which was really cool, um, before ultimately we just ran out of money. Uh, we couldn't we couldn't get a publisher for the third game. What was uh, the third game, if you don't mind me asking? It this? was a sequel to Stunt Car Racer. Oh wow! Really? Yeah, the, yep. the we right. were working. We were working with Jeff Crammond, um, and we had made this multiplayer stunt car game. Um, it was entirely cross-platform, although politics of the time, obviously, we could never release it as that. So we would play it on PC, on Xbox One, and on PS2, all on the Office Network, um, and it 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 played like a, a slightly more arcadey version of Stunt Car Racer on these big sort of roller coaster tracks it was a lot of fun what a game that was (laughs) yeah um but yeah ultimately we couldn't find funding for that so uh lost toys ran out of money and at that point uh so that's when when lost toys folded i ended up at uh kuju yeah uh, in godalming for a couple of years which um i'll be honest with you i hated it did you want wow okay i didn't i didn't like it at all and again like some of the people there were just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Some of the people they had at the coalface were were stunningly good, and you can tell that. But like the fact that some of them went on to work for like Natural Motion, developing like the Euphoria system and everything like that. That you know these aren't silly people; these are top top quality. But all of the stuff that we were being asked to make was always bargain basement really old technology because it would be too expensive to make new stuff Um, there was no real investment in the idea of making a killer app it was always work for hire shovelware that's what it felt like at the time you're better Um, than that aren't you let's be honest Alex no no it's not it's not everyone is better than that yeah yeah, you know it it, it, we weren't going to set the world alight with any of these titles The, the only title I was in any way excited about that that we were working on ultimately got canned because the publisher went bust um so it's like oh it just wasn't going to happen there um so after that i went on to um uh, throw my lot in with glenn again and we set up our own little company to make um playstation 3 like psn stuff yeah yeah, um, yeah. but that wasn't particularly successful and then i ended up back at ea for a bit working you- on my first harry potter game of course, yeah, I saw that on your uh, on your list actually. I mean, Harry Potter, that must have been pretty fun to work on, right? Prior to me working there on that, I had no experience with Harry Potter at all. Hadn't read oh. the books, had maybe seen the first couple of films, yeah. 
I knew nothing about it. Um, I was never, I was never interested in it. When I was hearing about Bullfrog making the Harry Potter games, I was like, that's such a waste. Um, you know, and those games are good, right? They're, They're good games. It's a great franchise to be involved with, but, but, it's it's not a it, it's not a bullfrog thing to be involved with um so yeah but then having actually worked on it and having actually uh, uh experienced the potterverse as it were yeah um uh i turned around 100 i loved it <laughs> I, I really kind of got into it um <laughs> i got sorted into hufflepuff to my eternal shame but now <laughs> I, I will wear that as a badge of honor i'm a i'm a, a hufflepuff and proud um but yeah, so that that was a that was fun. But ultimately, uh, that uh, the contract for that ran out, and then I where did I go after that? After that was BlackRock. Yeah. Yeah. So down in Brighton, and uh, I'd like to say that I have never I have never worked at a company that did more to make you feel like you wanted to work there, to make you feel like this. This place is more than a company. It's a culture. It's uh, just come here and have fun, right? Whatever you need, whatever you need to um, to get this stuff done, we'll give it to you. Um, what do you need to, to to feel happy here, to feel comfortable here? We'll provide that for you. Um, they absolutely went out of their way to make you feel like you were part of this this thing. It was it was ridiculous. It it, it was awesome. Um, but sadly, I never actually got to release any games there because they just kept canning whatever it was that I was working on, um, which was which was kind of really, really depressing. But the, like the culture there, the studio culture there was was absolutely one of the best that I've, I've ever experienced. Oh. And again, the, 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 the quality of the staff was just absolutely stellar, like especially like, for instance, all the people making the car models or all the concept artists, they were ridiculously good, mm. Ab- ridiculously good. Top tier it was really good. Oh, good stuff. What, what are you doing now then, Alex? Are you still are you still in the games industry? Or? Still in the games industry. I am. Uh, well, kind of. I'm, I'm doing contract work, contract design work um, for, funnily enough, a, a group of people in Guildford. Um, but I'm sort of. I'm an independent developer. We did uh, like after BlackRock, I went to one of their spin-offs when BlackRock folded. It did the same thing again, and and all of these little companies sprang up. So Boss Alien, uh, what would become Hangar 13? I think they were what they called short round or something before that there was a whole bunch of little studios in brighton sprung up and i went to boss alien um and started working on like mobile titles i did a little bit on csr racing but not much and then again sort of reprising my role that i had at blackrock which was sort of uh concept prototype guy yeah uh, i was working on the thing that we wanted to become the next game um or any number of things that we could turn into the next games but none of them ever really kind of came to fruition um and then uh when i i'm going to say when i left uh um boss alien which uh, by the way because we had taken there's there's this the art director at boss alien was a guy called uh jason green jay green and he's now electric square in brighton and he was the person who was most responsible for the culture thing at blackrock and then subsequently boss alien so boss alien just just assumed the mantle of of blackrock and how it decided to treat its staff so it was just phenomenal and that is 100 percent down to him so i can only imagine 
that Electric Square is just one of the most amazing places to work at. Um, and it's all because of him. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so after that, I I <laughs> got into a, 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 a bit of trouble. Or we, we made, let me say, do you know how I made that questionable decision right at the start of this? The whole yeah. thing. Yeah, 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 we did that again. So at the point where I, I uh, me and Bosalian parted ways, my girlfriend was uh, five months pregnant. Right. <laughs> and so rather than um, going and getting another job, uh, what we did was kind of ask ourselves, well, do you reckon we could make a game and put it out before the baby gets here? Um, so we did that and we made a mobile title <laughs> in, in four months. Um, and I don't know if you've, you've you've ever tried developing a game when you're heavily pregnant, but it's not particularly easy no i bet that's very very difficult. um but it was a deadline that 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 we had to hit we couldn't shift it it, it couldn't slip because this baby's coming one way or the other and when the baby gets here you're not going to be able to do this right yep. so we had to get it done and that was an incredibly um focusing <laughs> focusing <laughs> element right um and so we got it done and and it did okay it was it, it was all right and yeah, so we thought well let's do that called? yeah so that was called glyph quest on on glyph 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 quest on ios and android um and then so we thought well that kind of worked let's do it again and i don't know if you've ever wondered how hard it is to make a game when you've got this little baby and it's no longer (laughs) neatly packaged up inside a a belly somewhere but you've got this little thing that you can't put down um that needs constant attention but it's freaking impossible but we made the sequel and uh sadly that absolutely tanked for a Oh, really? A number of reasons beyond the scope of this 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 conversation. Yeah. Um, but we managed to make a third, which again <laughs> absolutely tanked. And so now I'm out as a sort of jobbing designer, and I'll go and work for other people. Right. Uh, yeah. Other people will come to me and say, "Look, we'll pay you actual money, um, and and I'll 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 do design work for them." So yeah. So currently I'm working for a company called uh, Flaming Fowl yeah. in in Guildford. But I've done like a bunch of stuff for. All sorts of companies all over the place and everything from sort of mobile titles to VR. I've done quite a few VR projects, which is always really exciting. Um, but, Brilliant. yeah, so, yeah. No, Alex, look, I think well, your resume speaks for itself. So, well, if there's anyone listening, where's the best place to contact you if they've got a sort of game up their sleeve? Is it Twitter? Because is that a good place to get you? you that's always, yeah, that's always, yeah. Something just bulk paint. There is only ever one bulk paint and it is me. <laughs> um, uh yeah, yeah, I, I'm always, I'm always open to things. Uh, like a lot, a lot of my time, I spent kind of, I'd like to think, paying it forward. So I do a lot of work where I go around to yeah. universities and so on, and and do lectures or workshops uh, to the, the the students there. But although it's always really depressing when you're standing in front of this group of students, and they're like, so where, what did you, how did you start? And I said, oh, I, I started at this place that you've never heard of because you weren't born then. Yeah. Um, although you know, within the industry, it is amazing how much love there is for bullfrog and how much cachet the name still carries to this day i think yeah. that's that that is its lasting legacy is that the people you meet from back then and what they've gone on to do um you know i'm, I'm you know i'm thinking about your alex evans is at media molecule and your demis hassabis at mm. deep mind and all that's you know the, the the people that we had would were, were just incredible to a man you know 
Good on you. Well, Alex, man, you're, it's been a real, really good chat. I really appreciate it. I've got, if that's all right, I've got a few quick fire questions. You can have like yes or no answers or really quick okay. answers. Is that yes. all right? Yeah, absolutely uh, fine. Fire away. So really quick fire. So Mario or Sonic? Mario. <laughs> Tea or coffee? Uh, oh, neither. <laughs> really? I, I tell you, right, hot drink of choice is hot Ribena. Oh, wow. Okay. The controversial one there. <laughs> hot Ribena. Hot Robin. How about Amiga or ST? Amiga. Come yes, on. Well done. <laughs> Coca-Cola or Pepsi? Coke. <laughs> Arnie or Sly? I'm going to go with Arnie. Good. It's closer. Right, right. In the early days, it would have been easy, Arnie all the way. But as I've got older, I've got more of a respect for Sly. But it's still going to be Arnie. Yeah, I say good, actually. I, I disagree because I'm a massive... But most people are okay, say huge Arnie fans, but they'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> How about your favourite video game of all time? See, this is a ridiculous question. You can't ask this question. It's, it's tough, a stupid isn't it? question. Um, uh, I always used to say Elite uh, or 1942, all sorts of stuff, but it has to be Dark Souls. Dark, I never, I've never played Dark Souls. I might then check it out. this call is over. Well, I don't, <laughs> you've wasted two hours of my time. What the hell? Sorry. I'll have to check it out. Um, how about favourite film? Uh, Aliens. Oh, what a classic. What a classic. Um how about your favourite video game film? That's there a tough are one. no good video game films. <laughs> no, uh, it's a really, it's a really stupid film. It's got to be Tomb Raider, right? That's the yeah. only one that even remotely stands up as a film in its own right, while remaining true and not in any way patronising to the source material. True. It's got to be the Tomb Raider series. How about, how about a bullfrog uh, game that could be made into a film? Could you imagine? None, right, we talked about, we we always used to talk about stuff like this, but like one of the huge issues that we had, and part of the reasons for some of the, uh, the marketing decisions from EA was that none of our games ever had characters. Um, oh, yeah. and so it was always really, really hard for marketing to, to make a standee, to make this thing to be the focal point of their, of their marketing campaigns. So you were, you're always going to struggle making a, a film out of a bullfrog game because there are no, there's no character that you go, well, here's the hero. Well, there isn't one. Wow. Um, so yeah, I've never thought that's incredible when you think about it. That is actually true, isn't it? We we never had a Mario. We never had a Sonic. No. We, we I mean, tried a couple of times. Like I guess the the Horned Reaper is as close as you get. <laughs> and again, that was a, a conscious decision to out of all of the, the the creatures to kind of pull him out and put him front and center was to try and alleviate this this issue that we saw. But even that, we didn't. I, did, I think it, it it didn't go all the way. Do you know what? You kind of missed the trick a little bit. You could you could make like a bullfrog character, like Super Frog, couldn't you? What do you reckon? Was that a dumb yeah. idea? <laughs> no, well, that, that, you know, again, that's been done. Super it's Frog been was done. done, wasn't it? It's been done. Um, what's your favourite console of all time? Ah, uh, that's, that's really tricky. Um, like, I could, we got... <laughs> we, I love the SNES, right? Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I love the SNES is because we got the first one in the country. Like, we... Wow. Because of our contacts in, in, in Japan, Imagineer let us borrow one like before it was out over here um and i spent the weekend playing super mario world which was where my love affair of mario started yeah. and f-zero which blew us away and indeed populous there was a version of populous on it yeah. um until uh, we blew it up we left it plugged into the wrong transformer and it blew up but when when um it was properly released in japan imagineer said do you want some and we said yes please so we all started buying them we all just imported a bunch of of, of famicom so this probably it's either that or the neo geo i loved the neo geo yeah yeah um yeah. it was just what an incredible machine but awesome. yeah so for, for nostalgia the the snes but for um for games neo geo 
Oh, the Neo Geo was amazing, wasn't it? Um, how about are you a podcast listener? I'm not much of a podcast listener unless they've got me on it, in which case I can heartily recommend them. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Have you done any podcast interviews before, actually? Um, I've done I've done a couple of like uh, video ones. Uh, yeah. But not no not not to any sort of degree. Um, I'd, I'd, my my missus has just recently been on a couple um predominantly to talk about like sort of women in the games industry and how she got started and everything like that and so i'll listen to them because otherwise she'll punch me um, <laughs> but yeah brilliant well maybe one day i can talk to your to your wife possibly but anyway we, yeah be another conversation <laughs> um so uh, well look, alex really appreciate you chatting to me today it's been a real pleasure it's a real honor honestly thanks for having me no, yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, I'm happy that you and, and Sean and Mark are doing really well. You, you know, that, are you still in contact with those sort of guys? Or, um, yeah, so I still, right, so I still speak to uh, Mike. He was one of the artists at, at, at Bullfrog on a absolutely on a daily basis. Um, I speak to Sean every now and again. Glenn is like I can't avoid Glenn even if I try. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so there's still there's still a few of them, and whenever we meet up, like develop is always the big thing. Uh, develop down in Brighton yeah. the, the conference there which is an exercise in how slowly can we walk along the front because I'm having to stop every 10 yards to chat to this person that I used to work with at so-and-so you know um, but that's where we meet up pretty much every year and just you know, <laughs> shoot the yeah. breeze catch up yeah yeah awesome but everyone is just rounder and grayer and with less hair and <laughs> Everyone's got kids now, you know. It's 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 a whole different ball game. The priorities are all uh, they've all shifted. Yeah, very different to the old old days, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got one more final question. I ask all my guests this, whether yeah. it's a text interview or a podcast, and I'll, I'll tell you the uh, there's an answer I get nine, well maybe fifty percent of the time. So I'll be really interested in who you say. If you could share a few drinks with any video game character, who would you choose and why? See, I saw this. I saw this on your list, and I was like. I've got no idea. I've got no, and I was trying to think of a funny one. I couldn't think of a funny one. I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I honestly don't know. I guess right. So I guess the one, the, uh, the, the, the kind of group that I would have got invested in would have been. I'm going to say Knight Solaire from 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 Dark Souls because he's yep. a Sunbro and being Sunbros is cool. And I don't know if we would we would drink but we would bask in the radiance of the sun while praising its incandescent glory and <laughs> and i'm fine with that brilliant i i'm gonna have to check out dark souls 100 percent. it's a you're gonna hate it you reckon? You're, gonna, you're gonna be there going <laughs> why is he making me play this i it doesn't do anything i want it to do well i'm gonna sound really stupid now what sort of game is it what genre is it is it a RPG it's a or? it's an action uh there's rpg elements it's a third person action adventure game um it's incredibly brutal but with categorically some of the best level design you will ever witness however it is absolutely brutal um you are going to get incredibly frustrated with sections of it but when you when it clicks yeah and when you overcome that adversity it fills you up like no other game has done before or since brilliant Um, yeah it sounds like a dark zelda is that true i'm a massive zelda fan so but i'll check it out uh, yes yes you could you could uh i'm gonna plug something somebody else's thing you could uh buy the book you died by uh keza mcdonald and jason i want to say killingsworth which is kind of uh, all stories from around dark souls and 
and uh, what people think of it and everything. That will give you a very good grounding on, on what the game is and why it means so much to some people. There you go. Well, uh, Alex, thanks so much for your time today. A real, real legend. And um, I'll let you know, of course, when it's out. But yeah, really appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode or anything else, you can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK, at Keith Barlow 82 and at Arcade underscore Adriano. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Please check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots of retro gaming goodness, interviews, reviews, features, top 10, etc. And you can also find all our previous podcasts there. Our podcasts are available to stream from the website and are available to download for free from Stitcher, Podbean and iTunes, where you can also leave us a review and a rating, which we would really, really appreciate. So until next time, take care and we'll speak to you soon.